Greetings, citizens. Due to recent events, I am going to be calling myself Cavalier Prime. I was the first, and I agree with Tropic Cyclone. She really should have come back to the surface once her cousin was healed. The guy calling himself the Cavalier has gotten truly out of hand. It's just, he's not the guy she thinks he is. And now he's even heading up a team of less armored individuals he calls his squad. This was announced just yesterday during a press conference. It seems Dr. Brent Ballard, billionaire head of the Ballard Group, you remember them, right, TC? Something about a very large, environmentally friendly luxury cruise liner? Anyway, Dr. Brent Ballard announced yesterday that he has always been the Cavalier. Oh, and should you really call yourself the Cavalier? With all of that armor, you look more like a tank riding a battleship. I don't even know why you built that. You still try to move like a knife fighter. So, Dr. Ballard, among other things, has trademarked his moniker. I do like to try and follow the law. You should do the same, Dr. Ballard. You know, when your father retired from politics and went on a lecture circuit, he had a line he worked into almost every speech. Showmanship is to cover up mistakes and illegalities. I always figured he was wrong on that. Of course, I also thought my biggest headache was going to be the guy who stole my civilian identity. I mean, I used to have so much money, I could have met Ballard in court over the Cavalier name. And it is difficult to call on all your rich friends when they think they talked to you yesterday. Well, at least I had so much money I'd stashed some in a few locations no one knew about. So, before you get too concerned about my well-being, my dear Tropic Cyclone, I'm not exactly hurting for cash. <laughs> well, maybe I am a little, but it has been keeping me entertained. As for Argo, who made a very public show of solidarity with Ballard and his merry band of zombies yesterday, what are you guys up to? You had access to me and examples of all the alien tech. What more did you need? Why the saber rattling with Atlantis over, literally, scraps? Why are you and, no, really, I'm the Cavalier, so keen to kick the hornet's nest that Tropic Cyclone is sounding calm and rational? Creed, Dell, I know you guys. This isn't you. Why weren't you there, talking sense? I mean, I kind of expected to see Emerald Siren students there. She's been getting cranky lately, and apparently being cranky makes her stupid. I swear, if I hadn't run the calculations over 400 times, I'd think I came back to the wrong universe. Look, I don't care about my doppelganger. I was a civilian much longer than I was the Cavalier, and you don't amass that kind of money and power by being the nice guy. Oh, and I suggest Argo keep that in mind when they go up against the King of Atlantis. But the Cavalier, he stood for all I found good in this world. And Brent Ballard, you are trying to take that away from me. So, Dr. Ballard, if you know who stole my civilian identity, tell him to run. He might get far enough away by the time I'm done peeling that tin can off of you. And Tropic Cyclone, if you touch a hair on his head, I'm going to beat him to death with your corpse. Understood? He's mine. Amuse yourself with his squad if you're that bored. But if I were you, I'd be more concerned with Atlantis taking all of those fancy artifacts out of storage. This would be a war neither of us wants. Well, let's get on with the movies, where at least most of us are having fun. My first movie was X-Men First Class. It really should be called X-Men Origins, Everyone But Wolverine. Once again, we get to see Eric Lencher abducted by the Nazis. This time, we get to see what happens next. The Nazis, of course, see his potential and attempt to train him to be a super soldier for their cause. They encourage his cooperation by killing his mother, in front of him. 
Next, we see Charles Xavier as a very young boy. Xavier wakes from a nightmare and goes to the kitchen. There he sees a woman who looks like his mother, but is not. After some brief back and forth, the woman reveals herself to be a very young girl named Raven. We know her better as an adult calling herself Mystique. Raven is there to steal food because she is alone in the world. Not even the brilliant young Charles ever thinks to ask why this is. Instead, Xavier tells Raven she can stay with him, since his real parents are never around. We then cut to a lyncher as an adult. Eric is hunting down and killing former Nazis, with a focus on the scientist who killed his mother. How he escaped in the first place, we do not know. I mean, why would they tell us when they can make a whole movie about it later? Anyway, Lyncher has to commit a lot of murders before he finds his man. And, in the meantime, a CIA agent named Moira McTaggart is hot on the trail of the leaders of a group known only as the Hellfire Club. She figures out the leaders of the Hellfire Club are powerful mutants. This means she needs to find recent university graduate Charles Xavier, an expert on a newly surfacing mutants with more than just an extra thumb. Turns out the Hellfire Club is led by the Nazi scientist who killed Eric's mother. He now calls himself Sebastian Shaw. Thus, we have the reason Xavier and Eric meet. Since Shaw has several mutants in his employ, Moira and her mutant fan club head out to find a few mutants of their own. All of the mutants they succeed in gathering are young, so rather than send them off on dangerous missions, they instead lock them in some apartments in Langley. For some reason, this includes Raven, who has always been presented as being around the same age as Charles. Oh, and Charles keeps treating Raven like his sweet, deformed idiot sister. I'm not sure why, except that it's important to the plot. So McTaggart, Lancher, and Xavier go off trying to stop the Hellfire Club. We are now roughly halfway through this movie's plot. I'm going to gloss over a lot from here on out. Lyncher keeps trying to kill everyone he finds annoying. Xavier keeps trying to calm Lyncher down. The movie keeps forgetting Moira McTaggart. They eventually discover that the Hellfire Club is planning pretty much exactly that. The world dying by Hellfire. The Hellfire Club believes convincing humankind to kill itself will leave the world free from mutant domination. Because the villains in these movies just can't be rational enough to make good plans. Anyway, while the adults are out doing something, the Hellfire Club pays a visit to Langley. It does not go well for CIA headquarters. The young mutants are given a choice. Join Shaw or die in the upcoming war. Some switch sides, others die. None of them had more than ten minutes screen time before now, so we're left trying to care. Big standoff trying to prevent Russian missiles from being placed on Cuban soil. Shaw loses, a war is not started, and Lencher decides now is the perfect time to go on a rampage. More mutants pick and choose sides. McTaggart makes another brief appearance in the plot. This time she tries to shoot Magneto, and he is now calling himself Magneto, by the way. So I'm really confused as to why she thought she should shoot the guy calling himself Magneto. He deflects it carelessly and a bullet severs Xavier's spine. Mystery solved. Eventually, Magneto calms down and wanders away with Raven at his side, now calling herself Mystique. Roll credits. Things we can learn from X-Men First Class. 1. You actually can make an entertaining movie that's also really stupid. This movie was more fun than any of the previous mutant movies. The effects didn't improve, but you'll be far too entertained to notice. 2. Where Cerebro comes from, why Beast is blue, where their fancy plane came from, why Charles Xavier started his school, why everyone has a code name.
In other words, it explains every question you never asked about the previous five X-Men movies, whether you like it or not. And three, apparently, if you can adapt to survive any dangerous stimulus, you can still die. Now, I do have a bit of experience with powers described in absolutes, and it's true, they really just don't exist. Still, if you're going to kill someone whose power is, you can't kill him, please explain how that happens. That sounds like an interesting movie. Instead, it's the death of a side character. So let's move on to the next movie, shall we? I'm sure you're going to be surprised what it is. My next movie is X-Men Days of Future Past. This would be the seventh in the ongoing X-Men franchise. It is perhaps the best, but at the very least, it is now the only movie in that franchise that matters. This movie opens in, and I quote, the future. Later, they say it's about 50 years after 1973, so that would be around 2020-something. Humanity is enslaved by mutant-hunting robots called Sentinels. The world's last remaining mutants are being killed off rapidly. Kitty Pride, the X-Men member from X-Men 2 and 3, who could phase through walls, is one of the survivors, and she has found a way to use her powers to send other mutants' minds back to their body in the past. She's been using this to keep the remaining mutants alive, one sentinel attack at a time. Magneto and Xavier hatch a plan to use the never-dying Wolverine to attract more viewers, or, uh, <clears throat> to go back far enough in time to prevent the creation of the Sentinels. At this point, the movie becomes very enamored with jokes about the 70s. I get it, hippies are funny, Nixon is funny, but that gets old really fast. You know what else gets old really fast? Forcing more powerful characters to the sidelines for the sake of moving the plot along. Overall, this is the best movie in the entire series, but <sighs> when it decides to have problems, it really has problems. So, turns out the Sentinels were built in 1973, in response to Mystique murdering their original designer. Mystique was captured, and through analysis of her blood, the Sentinels were fine-tuned into the nigh-omnipotent weapons faced by the future X-Men. So this is what Wolverine has to stop. To do this, he enlists the aid of Charles Xavier. I guess the previous X-Men movie had been a bit of a dud. Very few of the first class returned for this movie. To explain that away, we are shown that Xavier has become a drug addict and lost his telepathic powers. Together, Wolverine and Xavier hatch a plot to use a never-before-introduced mutant to free Lencher from prison. This mutant has the power to solve every single problem that comes up later in the movie. He's not perfect, but trust me, those fast guys are really, really annoying to swat. And he really should have been able to finish the movie right there. Instead of having him do that, though, they tell him to go watch television with his mother while they save the world. They then chase Mystique through one 1970s cliché after another, until, finally, there's a showdown at the White House. Somewhere along the way, it's explained that the Sentinels are plastic. Magneto cannot affect them. So, uh, before the showdown, Magneto secretly tears up some train tracks and gives the Sentinels metal skeletons. This, uh, it wouldn't work. The level of concentration required would be phenomenal. Later, it is even hinted that those metal skeletons somehow allow Magneto to just give the Sentinels verbal commands. I would think whomping them and all of Washington, D.C. with, say, an EMP would be simpler, but, well, whatever. So Magneto forgets Mystique can shapeshift, just long enough to lose a battle with her. Xavier survives by deciding not to be an addict. 
At the end, Wolverine is wrapped up like a present until Stryker stumbles across him. The world is saved, and Magneto once again proves to it just how scared it should be of mutants. Way to go, Magneto. Things we can learn from X-Men Days of Future Past. 1. How to reboot a franchise within its own continuity. This was actually quite inspired. I hope Marvel and Disney think of this when the time comes for their own shared universe. Now if I could just please have my own 13 hours back, that would be nice. Thanks. 2. Some writers don't know the difference between time manipulation and being really fast. Seriously, hurl a boulder at Mach 7. See how much of a wind it kicks up. The shockwave alone would kill most humans. And 3. When you're in danger of losing the rights to a character, just throw him into the movie anywhere. Really, no one will care. Honest. This brings us to something I'm going to handle only briefly. In our last episode, Topic Cyclone discussed the Netflix series Daredevil. It sounded more interesting than my ongoing nightmare of stupid mutants, so I dove in as well. Don't let TC hear this, but I agree with her assessment. The 12 hours of episodes allowed for a much more sprawling story. It helped a great deal. It is by no means perfect, but it shows what other media have failed to achieve. Despite many sequels and reboots and shared universes, they have overall failed to capture something essential to such a story. The feeling of a universe big enough to have blind men that can develop the ability to fight with unimaginable skill, and giant green beasts that can beat up men who call themselves gods. I have no intention of going beyond that in this review. Instead, I am going to give this more languid storytelling some more languid reviews. I plan to release written synopses and reviews of each episode. I will do four every week, starting next Sunday, and will, thus, end on the same Sunday as my next episode. Provided, of course, I do not die in the meantime. Keep that laptop warmed up, Shrike. I can't prove it yet, but this other guy plays for keeps. These reviews will be an experiment. Let us know what you think, and we will decide whether or not to do this or something similar with other television shows. And now comes our favorite exercise in demonstrating the obvious, Demographics Watch. I would like to point out that I am still not going to include the Daredevil series in our counts. It should also be noted that, as we have done before, I am counting recast roles as separate actors. To decide hero or villain, as always, I am counting where they stood at the end of the movie. X-Men First Class brings us... Heroes. Four white males, one white female, this would be Moira McTaggart, who is an unpowered government agent, and one black male. Villains. Three white males, two white females, one black female, and one Native American male. X-Men Days of Future Past brings us... Heroes. One white male, one black male, one Native American male, and one Asian female. Villains. Just two white males. Both of them are unpowered. One is Stryker, the other is Trask, the inventor of the Sentinels. This brings our totals to... Heroes. 51 white males. 12 white females. 6 Asian males. 1 Asian female. 7 black males. 3 black females. 1 Maori male. 1 Hispanic male. 1 Native American male. And 1 Native American female. Villains, 36 white males, 11 white females, 7 Asian males, 2 Asian females, 2 black males, 1 black female, 2 Hispanic females, and 1 Native American male. 
Remember to read our blog next week for written synopses and reviews of the first four episodes of Daredevil. You can find our blog and links to our episodes at superfrenemies.com. You can also find past episodes at Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. If you wish to contact me, I can be found at thecavalier at superfrenemies.com. Tropic Cyclone can be harassed at tropiccyclone at superfrenemies.com. I have one final word of advice to the person who stole my civilian identity. I'm assuming you're the same person who hacked my satellites long ago. I do not know why you were looking for it, but I did figure out what you were seeking. I have it now. Nice tech, if a bit dated. Let's have a little talk. Find me if you can. Until next time, citizens, I'm... Cavalier Prime.